My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Those are the last five verses of Psalm 57, which along with Psalm 56 is the psalm appointed for today, June the 6th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along today. We are still in the books of Deuteronomy, 2 Corinthians, and Luke. So we're, we're finishing up, more or less, this week we'll finish up with, with the readings from Deuteronomy. And, and I'll remind you one more time that, that what this is, is, is Moses knows that he, his time is done. His time as leader of the people of Israel is done. And so he is warning them and also speaking to them prophetically. He's warning them against um, apostasy, warning them against going away from the Lord in, in thought, word, and deed. But he's also, prophetically speaking, saying, you will. You're going to do this. But he's given them the same kind of prophetic word that, that prophets always give God's people, which is, this is what you're going to do. The Lord's angry with you. He will punish you for this. He will take you out of the land. But also, the prophet always says, after a season of time, then you'll come back. And he'll bless you again. And he'll bless you mightily. But you're going to have to endure the, the judgment of God for justice reasons because you're failing to uphold him. You're failing to, to bear witness to him in all that you do. And so here in this passage from Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 10, Moses is already saying, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you. And, and so he's saying this is going to happen. And when this happens, and then... You call them to mind, the blessings and the curses. In other words, when you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is why I'm here. <clears throat> when you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children. And here's the important point, and I'm going to tell you in a second why it's clearly the important point of these first 10 verses. He says, when you return and you obey his voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he'll gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. I love this next line. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. I mean, you can't go far enough away. You can't be outcast far enough that he's not going to come and get you and bring you back to the land. But the reason I say it's the, the important part is this. When you obey his voice in all I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, those are the keys. That's the repentance that he's looking for. And the reason I know that's the key is because it, it comes up three different times. And it's always in the same way, that they will obey the voice of the Lord and keep his commandments. And, and they're going to do that with all your heart and with all your soul. And so when you wholeheartedly return to him, it's not when you kind of make a step, a halfway step in his direction, that, that he's going to deliver you and return you and make you more prosperous, he says, than, and numerous than your fathers. It's not just then. No, it's going to, it, it's, it's only when 
you obey the voice of the Lord and keep all the commandments. And that's our call, too. That's exactly what repentance means. It means that we will again obey his voice instead of the voice of another. Remember, that's exactly the sin of Adam in the garden, because you obeyed the voice of your wife. So Adam tried to lay it off on God. The woman you gave me enticed me, caused me, whatever, to do this thing. God says, because you obeyed her voice, and the point there being because you heard another voice telling you not to do that, because you obeyed her voice, then you're going to be exiled from this place. And so that's exactly what Moses is saying, is that you're going to be exiled from the place that God's giving you. You're not even there yet, and I can already see a day when you're going to be exiled because you fail to follow him and you fail to believe him, and you're bringing in other gods. I see it coming, he says. I see it coming. I know it is, but the goodness of God trumps all of that. The goodness of God ultimately is what will triumph. His mercy will triumph over his judgment, but but not at the expense of judgment. He's saying judgment is real. Mercy is the final word. But it's contingent, and it's contingent on simple thing. Obey the voice of the Lord. Keep all his commandments with your heart and with all your soul. And so that's the key always to turning around. And, and we want to make it something like the prayer of Jabez, some form of words that we can pray that, that somebody prayed thousands of years ago, as though that's somehow the magic talisman that, that we need. Oh, these are the words. This is open sesame in the Christian world, right? I mean, that's the kind of nonsense that I hear too often is, is that you, you, can, you can speak things into being. You can speak things, and God's bound by those things. No, he's not. He's not. If he wasn't bound by the words of the prophets, why would he be bound by your words? But that's not the way it works. The, the key, the magic key, is obeying the voice of the Lord and keeping his commandments with all your heart and with all your soul. It's as simple as that. There's not some formula of words that says, okay, if I say this this way and hold my tongue in this way and, and, and clench my fists, then God will do what I want him to do, and God will prosper me, and he'll delight in me, and he'll restore me. No. It, what does it take? It takes repentance. It takes obedience to the voice of the Lord and keeping his commandments with all your heart and your soul and loving him. And that's the point. Is, is that, but what he says also, one of the key things that Moses says here is something that's promised all through the prophets. And it's surprising in some ways to find it there in Deuteronomy. He says, it'll make you more numerous and prosperous. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. He's going to do the work necessary to bring about the the repentance and the obedience and the love. He will do the work necessary to do that, but the work is internal. He's got to circumcise our hearts in order to do that. And he has to do that sometimes in really painful ways. Right? I mean, it's something that cuts off from us, and it's removal is what makes it possible then for us to to become obedient to his will. And so do we offer ourselves for him to do the work necessary to cause us to be obedient? Because it's a gift. Even that faith that brings us to obedience is a gift itself. The love for God is a gift. And, and in Jesus, we can see for all the world why we should love him. And John says in 1 John 4, it's, it's because he first loved us 
Our, it's, we love him because of what he's already done. He's already proven his love for us. And now we respond by loving him in return. And so when we do that, the way we love him is to be obedient to his voice and keep his commandments and love him. We, we need a sign. We need to show him that we love him. And so the, the sign that we give back to him is our obedience to his voice. Here in this gospel lesson, they're headed to Jerusalem. And Jesus takes the twelve aside and he tells them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And they're thinking, fantastic. Because he's going to be Messiah. He's going to be king. We're going to be, you know, kind of vice regents. We'll be reigning with him. We're, we'll be at his right and his left. And so they, they hear him say about the prophets, well, they've read the prophets. They expect the Messiah. That's the reason they're following him is because they bought, on, bought in early on Jesus being the Messiah. And the kind of Messiah they bought into is the kind of one that, well, becomes king and takes the Davidic throne and brings about the kingdom of God and brings about that prosperity and brings about everything you ever dreamed of. But, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, for he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him. On the third day, he'll rise. Yeah, yeah, show me that in the prophets, Jesus. I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. They're not looking at those passages from Isaiah 53, 54, 55, 56 in that range. They're not looking at those at all. They're thinking about only the kingly messianic prophecies. And says they understood none of these things that he said. This saying was hidden from them and they didn't grasp what was said. Well, no. Would they be following him if they thought that's where it ended? I mean, that's the honest question, right? Would they follow him if they believed that's the way this would end? No, they continued to follow him now because of what they had seen. And they didn't want to hear what he had to say here. They had a different outcome in mind and they're persevering in their belief that that will be the outcome in this case. We can, we can convince ourselves of almost anything, frankly. And we can get caught up in a delusion. I think the, the world has been caught up in delusions multiple times in my lifetime. It, and we will reject that, that stuff that goes against what we honestly and sincerely will believe will be the outcome. So we just dismiss anything to the contrary, anything that would be discouraging of that outcome being the final outcome. And so here they just they don't know what to say and so they just move on. And then they come across this blind man in Jericho. And, and he wants to know, hey, what's the big hubbub about here? What's going on? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the blind man starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people there are telling him to be silent. He's not having any of that. He's heard about Jesus. He knows that this man can potentially heal him. So he cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is sort of a precursor to exactly what's going to happen when they come into the city of Jerusalem, actually. That's exactly what the people are going to be crying out. Hosanna to the son of David, have mercy on us. So this man alone is crying, and they tell him to shut up. When they come into town, they're going to be told to shut up themselves, these people who are crying, Hosanna to the son of David. And so this man is told to shut up, but he won't do it. And so Jesus stops and commands this man to be brought to him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? 
And there's a part of me that looks at that and, and kind of goes, well, maybe I got the wrong guy. If you don't know what you can do for me, I'm blind. How about that? We'll start there. So he, he brings him in. He asks him that question. He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Pretty simple, right? Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. You told me what you wanted. I just repeated it back to you. And it, it proclaimed that your faith has made you well. But your faith in what? Your faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He believed that Jesus could do this thing. And he would recover his sight, which means that, that he's not always been blind. That there, there was a time when he was not, because he's recovering something that he's lost. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So Jesus is attracting this crowd, building this crowd of pilgrims as they go towards Jerusalem for what will be his Waterloo. The Passover celebration and the crucifixion. So if you're a disciple, it's hard to listen to Jesus say that and then see this. And see this crowd, everybody now coming behind him, glorifying God. It's working in the right direction. And look at this guy, though. I'm thinking about him versus the rich young ruler that we read about a few days ago, right? This guy lacked something. He lacked his sight. And he was desperate for Jesus. He was desperate that this man would do something for him. And so he cries out and he won't be dissuaded from crying out, no matter how many people tell him to shut up. Uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not having that. Uh-uh, nope, this is my shot. And so when he recovers his sight, he begins to follow Jesus. The rich young ruler was offered an opportunity to do something on his own. Jesus says, this you lack. He didn't perceive that he had a lack. He just didn't know what he had to do to inherit eternal life, and he didn't want to give away his earthly inheritance in order to get that, because the earthly inheritance weighed him down, and he couldn't let go of it and move forward into the opportunity to follow Jesus that was offered to him, and this man does. And unfortunately for him, he's going to see great things in the next little bit, but he's also going to wish at some point probably he had never recovered his sight because he's going to see the man who restored his sight to him on a cross, dying in that place. He's going to want to pluck his eyes out. It's not worth seeing if this is the way the world is. And if it's what it does to good men and godly men, then I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to see any of this. And so we can't turn a blind eye to these things, though. We have to look at injustice, and we have to, to look it square in the face and be strong enough to speak out and to be vocal about that injustice. And so this man, unfortunately, within a week, is going to see this. He's going to see the crucifixion of Jesus. Hopefully, he was there and he saw also the resurrection of Jesus. When Paul writes to the Corinthians here, he, he's, he said, Look, you know, here's the thing. You guys keep saying that when I speak to you through my letters, I'm bold and strong and uh, confident. But when I'm with you, I, I'm weak, right? I mean, and my words are not eloquent i'm not great in person but but you you seem like a different guy right i mean he's he's like a keyboard warrior i guess is what they're saying is is that that yeah you, you're tough when you're out there but but you're when you come to us you're humble and paul said that's exactly what i want but what i keep hearing when i'm over here is that you're continuing to walk according to the flesh there's sin among you and you're tolerating that sin among you and so I don't have any choice because when I'm with you, I'm going to love you and I want to love on you. But 
I've got to speak into this situation because you're tolerating sin. You're allowing this to go on among you. And when you do, you bring dishonor on him, but you also lift up the sin in such a way that the world, including those in the church, can come to believe this is okay because you aren't taking action against it. And so he, he, he says, look, this is, this is just the way it goes that I have to say these things. And he said, look, I, I don't want to say these things. This is not what I want to do. He said, but, but I have to boast a little too much of my authority here, which the Lord gave me for building you up and not destroying you. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I don't want to appear to be frightening with my letters. That's not what I want to do at all. What I want to do, though, is make sure you're walking in the truth. He says, those other people who have come and kind of deceived you and they claim to be super apostles, which is a word he's going to use in the next couple of chapters, he says, I'm not like them. I'm not boasting about anything that I didn't actually do and wasn't actually a part of. I'm, I'm not boasting beyond limits. I'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. And he says, one of the big things I want is our hope is that your faith increases and our area of influence among you might be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. And so what Paul wants is for them to do exactly what Moses is calling the people to do here, is remember that you need to return to him with your whole heart. You need to walk away from sin and obey the voice of God and keep his commandments. And he says, if you do that, and if we have healthy communities of people who are, are holding fast to truth in every way, not just in the preaching, but also in the living, then, then what that'll do is give me the opportunity to preach somewhere else. But I can't do that when you're still not being obedient. I've got to deal with you first before I can go out there because you're to be a witness to the rest of the world. We're using you as a springboard to the next thing. You're important in the work, but your obedience and commitment to the Word of God is that which enables that work to go forward with power based on your witness.